Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Some things just never seem to change. One of those things is athletics and slogans. I remember when I was growing up, some 35 or more years ago, our coaches used to put up slogans in the locker room. My boys tell me that the coaches are doing the same thing today. It's interesting, some of those slogans, in fact most of them, uh, have stuck with me through the years. Some I've shared with you on various occasions, like the one, winners never quit and quitters never win. Any old nag can start the race, but it takes a thoroughbred to finish. (laughs) We had a small football team, so this was one of the coaches' favorites. It's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. (laughs) And then the one that you've heard, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And to that, someone would always say, yeah, on you. (laughs) This day and time, a slogan that uh, my guys tell me the coaches have put up in their locker room, winners train, losers complain. (laughs) One that has stuck with me that our coach had was, no pain, no gain. That has some biblical foundations. I don't know if our coach realized that or not, but... That's a biblical principle. No pain, no gain. In fact, Paul is writing to Timothy, and Paul is on death row. He's awaiting his execution. Nero has had him arrested, and he is in the maximum security dungeon awaiting his capital punishment. And so he's writing a letter to Timothy and other young leaders of the church, giving them his farewell words, his dying declaration, his charge. And he gave Timothy four charges in 2 Timothy. The first one was to guard the gospel. That's in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he tells him to suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, he charges him to continue in the gospel. In chapter 4, he charges him to preach the gospel. And we're in chapter 2. Take your Bibles, turn to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. If you wanted to give a title to this chapter, it could be No Pain, No Gain. You know, Jesus said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. No pain, no gain. You want to get a little more spiritual with it, you can call it the death-resurrection theme. Everybody wants to be resurrected, but very few people want to die. But you've got to die 
if you're going to be resurrected. So throughout the Scriptures, we see this death-resurrection theme. Now, Paul has already given three examples to illustrate this principle. Earlier in this second chapter, we saw last week he gave the example of the soldier. The soldier has to experience pain if he's going to gain. The second example was the athlete. He also must experience the pain of training if he's going to experience the gain of victory. And the third example was the hard-working farmer who has to prepare the soil and plant the seed and fertilize and cultivate and harvest. There's pain if he is going to gain. And today Paul gives us four more examples of this no pain, no gain principle. Beginning in verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. The first pain and gain is the pain of study brings the gain of understanding. Paul commands Timothy in verse 7, Consider what I say. And that word consider is in the imperative, which is a command. Now the word consider, the root word, comes from mind. It means to ponder. It means to think about. It means to perceive. And in the tense that it's used here, it means to keep on pondering, keep on thinking about. Paul is telling Timothy he must reflect on the Scriptures. He must meditate on the Word of God. He must mull over the truth that he is learning from Paul. This involves both intensive and extensive study in the Word of God. Like a hard-working farmer, you must dig into the Word of God. Like a soldier, you will need to wrestle with the Scriptures. Like an athlete, you will need to obey the proper rules of sound interpretation. This is our responsibility. To get into the Word. To study it. To mull over. To think about it. To meditate on it. In our game... God will give us understanding. That's God's promise. The Lord will enable you to understand when you put forth the effort. The truth will come together for us. That word understand, in the Greek it's the prefix with and the verb to send. To send with. It's the word picture of two things coming together. Like the Missouri River and the Ohio River 
coming together to make the mighty Mississippi River. And we kind of use that same terminology today, don't we, when we understand something. We say, yeah, that's coming together for me. Yeah, I'm understanding that. That's making sense. You know, I can see it. Many times in my personal study of the Word, when I begin to study a passage, it's just kind of fragmented thoughts. You know, it's just kind of jumbled sometimes. And, and I begin to say, Lord, what are you saying? Particularly Paul. You know, you know, in your reading of the New Testament and listening to the New Testament, some of you commented how Paul is difficult. You know, his sentences tend sometimes to go on forever and ever. And if you're trying to diagram one of his sentences, that would be a feat in itself with all the modifiers. And, and But if you're going to understand what God is saying through Paul, you've got to take the time to... Mull over, reflect, meditate on it. And I'll start looking at one of his paragraphs. And, you know, it just looks jumbled. But then the more I pray over it and meditate over it and study it, all of a sudden it begins to come together. And that's exciting. When you see what God is saying, the truth, all of a sudden, coming together and how all the parts fit. And most always that ends up being the outline for the sermon. Because that's what he's saying, and that's how it all fits together. But just reading over it once or twice or three times, it doesn't happen for me. It takes intensive and extensive study. But if I will give the pain of the study, God has promised He will give the gain of allowing me to understand His Word. In God's time, He opens up the Word. The second example of the pain and gain principle, Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus' pain and gain. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Remember, this is another command. He says, Timothy, remember, be mindful of, keep in your mind. Call to your thoughts. And again, the verb tense means continually remember. Continually think about the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't think Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you know, remember Jesus died for your sins and He was resurrected on the third day. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Timothy wouldn't have, would have had no problem remembering that. But what he's saying is to keep Jesus before you in your thoughts. Similar to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 when he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You remember what he goes on to say? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So it's that idea of keeping your mind on Jesus, keeping Him ever before you. And in particular, he says to Timothy that he is to keep in mind that Jesus is the one who has been risen from the dead and descended from David. Now, those two phrases are packed with meaning. First, he says, remember the pain and gain of Jesus in his person. First, the pain descended from David. That reminds us of Jesus' humanity. He took on human flesh. 
He gave up the glories of heaven and became man. He took on the, uh, the pain and agonies and frustrations and disappointments of humanity. As Paul said in another place, he who was rich became poor on our behalf. That through his poverty, we might become rich. He who gave up all the glories of the universe, all the glories of heaven, and was born in a manger. That was his pain. His gain was risen from the dead. That speaks of his divinity. How do we know that Jesus was more than just a man? Because He came alive from the dead. That showed that He was more than a man. No simple human being could have defeated death. But Jesus, being God-man, having become sin for us, offered the perfect sacrifice, and as proof that He had paid the price for the sins of His people, God brought Him back to life. He defeated death. The wages of sin is death. But He defeated sin, and therefore He defeated death. As Romans tells us, concerning His Son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says it was forever declared by His resurrection that He was indeed the Son of God. Next, he says, remember Jesus' pain and gain in His work, in what He accomplished. Here, risen from the dead, reminds us of His pain. It reminds us that He had to die before He could be raised from the dead. That His sacrifice was sufficient. That He experienced the pain of becoming sin for us. For He who knew no sin becomes, became sin on our behalf that we might have the righteousness of God in Him. By His stripes, we were healed. His gain, a descendant of David. This reminds us that He established His kingdom. It reminds us of the promise that God made to King David that one would always sit on His throne. And Jesus, as the rightful heir of the kingdom, claimed His kingdom as the great Son of David. And so the pain of death brought the gain of His kingdom as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul tells Timothy to keep Jesus in mind. As he sees and looks at the life of Jesus, he will see before him that principle of no pain, no gain, illustrated throughout his life. The principle that death is the gateway to life. That suffering is the pathway to glory. And it's amazing how much the Scripture has to say about this truth. Why do we get discouraged when we face difficulties and, and hardships and agony, we get discouraged because we take our eyes off Jesus. Jesus is the example par excellence of no pain, no gain. 
suffering leads to glory. Jesus also tells us another aspect of this no pain, no gain principle. That our pain can result in someone else's gain. Jesus' pain resulted in our gain of eternal life. Sometimes we're experiencing pain so that somebody else can experience the gain. In fact, I am thoroughly convinced that there is no gain in life apart from pain. Now, you may not have been the one that experienced the pain directly in order for you to gain, but somebody has. And you may be experiencing some pain right now that you don't realize, but it's going to work for somebody else's gain. I'm convinced God has made within the fabric of the universe this principle that death leads to life. Death leads to resurrection. Pain leads to blessing. And we see it in the life of Jesus. So he says, remember Jesus Christ. Keep Him before you as the example of no pain, no gain. Next, we are to remember Paul's pain and gain. In verse 9, Paul says, For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the Word of God is not in prison. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul experienced the pain of imprisonment. He says, look at me, Timothy. Look at me too. Look what I'm going through. I am gladly as a soldier of Jesus Christ experiencing imprisonment and being chained like a criminal for the sake of the gospel. And Paul, referring to himself as a criminal, this word criminal is only used one other place in the entire New Testament. It's used of those criminals who were crucified with Jesus. Those criminals who were capital offenders, who were worthy of death. Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm innocent. But I'm here on death row, awaiting my execution. I'm suffering the pain of imprisonment and imminent death. But Paul was not discouraged. Paul was not depressed. Why? Because the Word of God was not in prison. He said, I might be in prison, but the Word of God is not. The work of God in in bringing His elect unto salvation is not dependent on me, Paul says. Even though I'm in prison, the gospel continues to go forth and accomplish the will of God. No enemy can thwart God's plan. No force on earth or beneath the earth can stop the gospel, which is the dynamite of God unto salvation. For this reason, Paul is triumphant. When we get discouraged, when we get frustrated in God's service, when we endure hardships, when we don't see any results, don't get discouraged. We've taken our eyes off Jesus. 
if we get down, our circumstances cannot hinder the work of God. When I was a young pastor in my 20s, I remember going to a pastor's conference in which one of the leading pastors in the United States was conducting the conference. And if I mentioned his name, you would know him. And one of the things he told us, and it stuck in my mind, he said, I've never preached a sermon that I did not see results. And I thought, hmm, man, that's hard to believe. But I believe him because I don't think he would lie about it. And so I said, God, I want to be a preacher like that. Man, I want every sermon I preach, I want to see results. Well, I became a very frustrated young man because uh, I preached and I preached and I preached and preached and I didn't see results every sermon. And I was getting discouraged, thinking, Lord, is it me? What's wrong? This preacher said every sermon he saw results. And then God began to minister to me and, and began to teach me that Results are not always visible. When the farmer plants the seed in the ground, that seed begins to germinate. He doesn't see anything going on. He just sees the dirt. That seed begins to take root and the roots begin to go down into the ground. Something's happening, but it's not visible. There are days, weeks, maybe even months before... The sprout breaks through the ground. God said, you need to trust me. He led me to that verse that I've claimed thousands of times before I preach. Isaiah 55, 11, where he said, My word shall not go out and return unto me empty and void, without accomplishing that for which I sent it out. And succeeding in the matter for which I intend. People say, Preacher, don't you get discouraged when you don't see results? No. Because the deep waters, you don't see the surface. The deep work of God is not always evident. At least not at the beginning. In fact, I have noticed uh, some of the results that you see, not real results. Comes quick, goes quick. When you are serving the Lord, don't get discouraged because you're not seeing results. You trust God with the results. He's working. His Word will accomplish what He wants it to accomplish. Paul says He endures all things for the sake of the elect. And that word endure means to be trampled over. It means to remain steadfast under the pressure, to hold there under the gun. Paul says, I continue to testify and believe and exhort, even though the pressure is tremendous. Why? So that those who are chosen by God before the foundation of the world might be saved and glorify God. His pain was imprisonment. His gain was the salvation of the elect. Paul endured all things triumphantly because he was confident 
that the Word of God would be victorious in the hearts of God's chosen ones. The utmost confidence he had in God kept him going. It kept him from being discouraged, and it will keep you and I from being discouraged as well. Paul gives that perfect balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Paul says, I know God has given me the responsibility to evangelize. And I will do what I can and I'll endure what I have to endure for the sake of the elect. But I know it doesn't depend on me. That God is sovereignly working to bring His chosen ones to salvation and glory. Now notice that Paul says, the salvation which is in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that salvation is centered in Jesus. He is the often perfecter of our faith. Our salvation is secured and realized in Jesus. And he goes on to say, with it eternal glory. Paul is thinking about that day that he talks about in Romans 8, that he talks about in Philippians 3, when we will be revealed as the sons and daughters of God, and we shall shine forth as bright as the sun in noonday. He's thinking about that glory that awaits us. That glory that he said is not worthy to be mentioned. The sufferings that we experience in this life are not worthy to be mentioned compared to that glory. It is about to be revealed in us. In Athens, Greece, there's a missionary who is confined to a small room. He's not confined there by the legal authorities, but he is confined there by his own illnesses. He is an invalid. During World War II, when the Nazis were occupying Greece, this man was to be executed by the Nazis. They placed him in front of the firing squad, and he was shot seven times, but he lived. They left him for dead, but he survived. As a result of that ordeal, and the witness of a loving Christian, this man became a Christian. Though constantly in excruciating pain, though 80% incapacitated, almost completely has to stay in the bed, he found the joy of Christ in his affliction. And this joy that he had for Christ got attention. And a uh, a radio reporter came and interviewed him and did a show on him. And he shared about his, his joy in the midst of his adversity. And they invited people to write in who wanted to know the secret of how to have this joy in such excruciating circumstances. And he began to minister to people. And then a newspaper reporter heard about it and came in and did a story on him. As a result of that, from this one room, this man has a congregation of about 9,000 people. From the confines of this small room, he's written over 38,000 letters to people explaining the joy in the midst 
of tragedy. He was confined, but the gospel was not confined. He realized that his hardships and his sufferings were part of God's great plan. Just like the sufferings of Jesus and the sufferings of Paul were about a much bigger plan, God's redemptive plan. Paul says, I gladly endure. I'm grateful to have my part that God's redemptive plan might go forth. This missionary had his part. It wasn't about him. It's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and His eternal plan of redemption for His people. And if you're suffering, your agony fits into that plan. Rejoice in it. Rejoice that you are chosen to be a part of God's redemptive plan for His people. No pain, no gain. Your pain may result in not only your gain, but somebody else's as well. Thirdly, Paul tells Timothy, we are to apply this no pain, no gain principle to our life as well. Verse 11, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. He says, if we experience the pain of death, we gain life. If we die with Him. I don't think Paul is primarily talking about physical death, but I think he's talking about the death of the self-life. Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him take up, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Same thing. If you're going to walk with Christ, you've got to die to yourself. If we're going to experience life, true, deep life with God, we've got to experience death to self. Tom Dorsey was a black musician in Atlanta back in the 1920s. He achieved some notoriety for his jazz music and his suggestive lyrics. But in 1926, he gave up that career and concentrated strictly on spiritual music. In 1932, during the Depression, he was experiencing great difficulty trying to make a living. But the ultimate kick in the teeth came when, while he was in St. Louis, he got a telegram that informed him that his pregnant wife had suddenly died. He was heartbroken. His faith was shaken to the roots. He did not know how he could keep going. He turned to the discipline he knew best, music to express his pain and his sorrow. 
And as he experienced this pain, this death to his self-life, he gained a deeper life in Christ. He began to understand Jesus in a way he had not known Jesus before. And through this pain, through this death to self, through this agony, he wrote the song that we know. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. And this song helped carry Tom Dorsey through his time of of pain. But God has used that to help thousands and thousands of people in their time. Precious Lord, take my hand through the storm and through the night. Lead me to the light. If we die with Him, we shall live with Him. Paul says if we experience the pain of suffering, we gain glory. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. And again, that word endure means to remain steadfast under the pressure, under suffering. If we hang in and believe God and hold on to God, we will reign with Him. Because it results in greater glory. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You can't even compare to what glory awaits you if you're willing to endure with Him. If you will experience a pain of suffering, then you will experience a gain of glory. During the Depression, there was a man who was out of work. He was down. He just lost his wife. He was looking for work. He was walking down the street and noticed some stone workers working on a church. And he stopped to see if there was any work he could do. And he noticed this stonecrafter was shaping a triangular stone. And the man looked and he couldn't see anywhere that the stone would go. And so he asked the stonemason, he said, what's that for? The stonemason pointed up high next to the steeple. And he said, you see that spot right up next to the steeple? This stone is to go there. And I'm, I'm shaping it down here so it will fit up there. It hurts to be chiseled. But God is shaping us down here so that we'll fit up there. So that we can reign with Him. That we can be seated on His throne that we can serve Him in that particular ministry He has for us. He's shaping us. The pain of suffering brings the gain of glory. 
then Paul says, if we refuse the pain, we forfeit the gain. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we're not willing to undergo the pain but say, no, I'm tired of this. I don't want any part of this. If this is what God is like and the Christian life is like, I don't want to suffer. When I came to Christ, I wanted good times. I thought I'd be free from all this pain. Look at the soldier. He's not willing to endure the pain of basic training. He washes out. He never experiences the gain. The athlete... If he's not willing to experience the pain of training and intense preparation, he'll never win the prize. The farmer, if he's not willing to give the back-breaking labor necessary, he says, man, this is too hard. I give up. I quit. And lets the weeds take over. He'll not experience the gain. Paul says... If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. Oh, we may fall away and be unfaithful, but you can be certain your God will not be unfaithful. He will not go back on His Word. He has said, if you deny Him, He will deny you. He will remain faithful forever. Luther... Bridgers surrendered to the call to preach when he was a 17-year-old student at Asbury College in Kentucky. He had an unusual zeal for evangelism. And he became a strong evangelist and revival preacher. By the time he was 26, a bright future awaited him as an evangelist. And by now, he had a wife and three lovely children. While he was doing a revival meeting, his wife and three children went to visit his parents in Harrisburg, Kentucky. One night, the neighbors saw flames coming from the house, and they ran over to, to wake up the Bridger's family. And they woke up his parents, but his wife and three children perished in the fire. He felt like his soul was being ripped from within him. It felt like his very life had been snuffed out. His heart was aching. His sorrow was overwhelming. His entire family wiped out. He was crying out to God. And he remembered that God said in Psalm 42 that He will give us songs of comfort in the night. He said, God, comfort me. And he met Jesus in that time of affliction. And Jesus gave him a song. He gave him a melody. The fourth verse speaks about his life. He says, though sometimes he leads through waters deep, 
trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see His footprints all the way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The sweetest name I know. He fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. When you go through your pain, seek Jesus. Find Jesus in your situation. Now don't take it from me. Take it from Luther, who lost his whole family. He said, there's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. In all of life's ebb and flow. Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. In His pain, He found Jesus in a deeper way than ever before. Don't run from your pain. Embrace it. Say, Lord Jesus, I embrace this pain because I want to find You in it. I want to meet You in this pain in a new way, in a deeper way than I've ever met You before. No pain, no gain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that we can see our pain is not senseless. But that in that pain, there's a potential for gain if we will seek You and find You in it. If we'll not deny You, if we'll not be faithless, but faithful, and endure with You, there is great gain. Give us that grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.